we're glad that you're here. We are excited um, as we continue through this series. I was just, as we were singing that song, um, something just, some, you know, you, you have things that you know instinctively, you know um, biblically, and sometimes just doesn't connect. And I was just thinking about this whole idea of contagious in this series that we're in. And your ability to be contagious is contingent on how great God is to you. I mean, have you thought about that? that? That it's easy to sing, great are you, Lord. It's a totally different thing to actually believe it and live it. Because here's the standard, and, and this is a freebie because this isn't in the notes. Brian's over here going, well, that's not in the notes. We wrote this thing. That's not even close to the notes. Um, here's the thing. The standard for how great God is is Jesus said that if you love your father, your mother, your brother, your sister more than me, you can't have any part of this kingdom. He said, in fact, your love for me has to be, uh, in comp- your love for me in comparison to everything else, everything else has to look like you hate it. And when you get to that point, and, and you understand that God is that great, when you read Psalm, or Psalm 8, and it says, talks about the creation, it says, who am I that you're mindful of me? That's when it becomes contagious. See, the world knows what we say, and they may even turn on Christian radio and hear the songs that we sing, and they go, wow, you know, they talk about great are you God, but they live like a people with... I mean, like a hit dog. I mean, I, I, I don't know how else to explain it. And I say that every now and then, but it's like we have our tails between our legs and somebody goes, man, you're, 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 I don't believe in your God. And we go, yeah, okay, wh- whatever. And we hide from it. And the truth is our God's the one that, I mean, look, at, just think about, you go outside, I mean, the weather's kind of crazy, isn't it, right now? We've had the, the polar vortex, whatever that is. And God bless WRL. Um, because watching it, I would have thought that it was going to be like, like 5 degrees all week this past week. And I think it was like 40. But whatever. Um, but even, even just the weather that it goes from extreme highs to extreme lows and back and forth. God controls that. You know, we need a 70 degree day. You and I need to thaw out a little bit. I'm on blood thinner. I need to thaw out a little bit. I need some help with that. So, I mean, as we talk today about this idea of contagious community, understand that your community is only going to be as contagious as how great God is in your life. And it's easy to say, if I say, is God great? Oh, God's great. But what what does every other relationship look like compared to God. And I'm not saying that we, we trash other relationships. Our love for God should just be so much greater. And so today, um, if you're taking notes, hopefully you got a sheet as we track through, because this is probably um, so far the most practical thing, because at the end of this, we're going to call you to do some things, and we're not calling you to do one thing like we do a lot of times. We're going to call you to do five simultaneously, okay? Now, it's not hard, it's, hard, it's not hard, but I promise you that if you do these things over a week or two, it, you're going to start to see contagious results. You're going to start to see God use you. So it's going to be a bigger deal this week, so I hope you'll write these things down and track with us. But the, the big idea is everyone craves community. Everyone craves community as long as it doesn't cost anything. Everybody craves community. Everybody wants community as long as it doesn't cost anything. We had a guy that when we started this church came... And uh, he's no longer with us, um, not this church, he's still alive, but he's no longer at this church. And we were talking about community one day, and I said, you really need to get plugged in a community. He said, man, I, I, he said, I just don't have time. 
not going to do it. Don't have time. And I just looked at me being me. I said, you know what? You'll make time for what's important to you. Now, the interesting thing is it was going to cost him his time. But when he left the church, it was because he didn't make community. He didn't meet anybody. Nobody cares about me. What he wanted was everybody to care about him. And some of you have left other churches and come here because nobody cared about you. But i got to ask you, what were you involved in? Did you just sit and expect somebody to feed you and then when something bad happened, all of a sudden go, ooh, let me help you? Because I can just tell you, at this church, if, if you're looking at church, I'm going to tell you straight up, all of our care, almost 90% of our care takes place in B groups. If you're not in a B group, I usually don't know what's going on with you. And our B groups do a really good job of taking care of people. And so, but everybody wants someone to care Everyone, everyone cares, uh, uh, wants community, craves it, as long as it doesn't cost them anything. It, it, it's interesting. Community attracts and repels us at the same time. It's, it's just weird how that works. We want all the benefits, but we don't want the demands. Because you know what? If I, if I get involved in a community and I'm sitting there in Bible study and somebody goes, you know, I'm, I'm, I lost my job, then I start to feel like, well, i, I got to do something. It's just easier not doing anything, isn't it? Hold on to your own stuff. So we don't like the demands. We don't really want to care about people sometimes. And you go, well, Joe, we do care about. We care about everybody. We're believers. How about this? Hey, how's your day going? Uh, It's fine. And by the time you get fine out of your mouth, they're already walking off. They don't really care. You ask a question that you don't want the answer for. I'm going to challenge you all to do this. Do this today. Um, just for fun. It'll be, it'll be a fun exercise. When somebody says, How you, how's your day? Just come up with the craziest, um, most insane stuff and start telling them about it. Well, you know, I woke up this morning and the bunions on my feet hurt really, really bad. And I had trouble walking. And, uh, and then I got, when, as I got out of bed, um, I stepped on my George Foreman grill because I like the smell of bacon when I wake up, for those, those who know what TV show I'm talking about. Um, the skin has just grown back. Do that and see what happens. See, see how people react to it because um, we, we don't really want to care and we don't want to be vulnerable. The hardest part about being in a community, especially in a B group community because those are house churches, is that you may have to be a little vulnerable. You may have to admit you don't know everything about the Bible. You may have to share something that you don't want to share. Now, now understand this. We don't go into B groups, our becoming groups, small groups. We don't go in in the first week and say, hey, Brian, I want you to share your biggest sin. We don't do that. In fact, I don't think any of our groups ever ask that. But what happens is over time, as you become comfortable with people and you get to know them, then you're more willing to share things with them because they're things that you need help with. And the beauty of community and the beauty of, of the church is this is that there are people that have gone through stuff. You come in, you think, nobody's ever been where I am. And yet there are people all across this room that have been exactly where you are. You know, just in the, in the last uh, two weeks, my, my father died in, in the year 2000. And as Mark was going through his journey, um, you know, I, I, I kind of talked to Mark about it because I know what it's like. And then Tim went through, is going through it right now, and others know what it's like. And, and until you've been there, you don't really know how to respond. You don't, you don't know what you're going to do. But there are people who have gone through it. 
There are people who have gone through divorce, and so, you know, as you're vulnerable, then it, it creates a deeper community and helps you um, to grow. And we were created to live in community. I mean, God looked at Adam and said, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. And he gave us woman. And, and it's still not good for us to be alone. We need community. So that's kind of what we're talking about, is contagious community. Now, there's a word that we use in church, this word fellowship. I mean, y'all, y'all like the fellowship? In the Baptist, Baptist life, how many of you are Baptists? How many tra- I just want to see how many are tracking with me. How many grew up Baptist? Good God, there's fewer and fewer of us. Um, somebody tell me, when Baptists get together in fellowship, what do we do? We eat. And I don't know about the rest of you. I don't know what Catholics do or Presbyterians. I know Baptists, we eat. But here's the thing, that's not fellowship. We equate fellowship with eating, and it's not. It's a part of it, but it's not fellowship. It's not, it's not the whole thing. Because how many of you go, you know, I got a business lunch today. I think I'm going to go fellowship with my other coworkers. <laughs> Does anybody do that? No, that, yeah, I, I, was, I was out the other day, and... Saw an old classmate and uh, old boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, and we, we just sat down and fellowship. No, you just say, hey, we called up, whatever. We don't call them. Then we go to church, it's like, let's, I mean, we have whole rooms. Not here, nor will we ever. At least not here. We have a whole room called the fellowship hall. More fights have happened in business meetings in the fellowship hall than anywhere else in the church. And in the fellowship hall, I know just from the church I, grew, I was in for 15 years, you had your older adults who ate 15 other meals a week together, and you had your families all sitting there. There was no fellowship. You're sitting there yelling at your kids the whole time. But it's the fellowship hall. And see, Scripture has this other term for it, which is in Greek, which is so much bigger. We, we translate it fellowship. Actually, we translate a lot of ways, but it's this idea of koinonia. Koinonia is the Greek word for that. And I just want to give you a picture of what koinonia is and what fellowship is. Because I believe this is what we're after and what's contagious. In 1 John chapter 1, verses, verse 3, and then we're going to jump to 6, it says, We proclaim to you what we have heard so that you may also have fellowship, koinonia, with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is light, as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of, Je- and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So he's basically making this case that fellow, true fellowship is not just eating together. It's not just one thing. It is everything. It's, he says that fellowship involves our relationship with God. It says that if we have fellowship that we, uh, we proclaim that we have heard so we may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and the Son and then our fellowship is with each other. As we walk with Jesus the way we're called to walk with Jesus, then we have right relationship with him. We're in fellowship with him and, and that vertical fellowship allows us to have fellowship with each other. See, the early church that we're talking about, the reason they lived out this thing is because they had seen and they had heard and they had tasted and they felt Jesus. They knew. They were so close to the moment where he ascended back into heaven that they were very familiar with it. Many of them walked with him. And so they understood this fellowship with him and how how it played out with everybody else. It's an interactive relationship with God and with each other. And it's the totality of who we are as Christians, because a lot of times, and we talk about this week after week, and we'll quit talking about it when we quit doing it, um, but we have like our family, 
And we live out our family life, and may we say a blessing, and may we read the Bible. And then we have our church life, our Sunday life, and it looks totally different maybe than our family life because our fam- you know, I've, I, I don't see very many families. It's really cool, though. I don't see very many families coming through the parking lot just screaming at each other. This is our parking guy, so he would know. We don't see a lot of that, and certainly not in the lobby. I'll talk about the lobby. In the lobby, we don't see it. But then when you're at lunch at Smithfield, what are you doing? Or when you get home, what are you doing? I mean, it's, it, we, we kind of compartmentalize our lives in fellowship. Koinonia is everything working together, everything working towards Christ, everything looking the way it should. And the thing about that is in fellowship in the church, everyone has a role in this. Everyone has a part in this, in this fellowship. I want you to turn, and this is not going to be up on the screen. I want you to turn to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 real quick. Because I want you to see this fellowship, this koinonia coming together and how it works. Because a lot of times we think that, um, that we're not important in this whole fellowship thing, this whole bringing together, this koinonia, this bringing the thing together, this whole contagious um, Christianity thing. But I want you to look at this, verse 18 of 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 12. And this is after he lists the, um, the gifts, spiritual gifts. But our bodies ha- have many parts. And God has put each part just as he wants. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. In other words, it's basically paint this picture of what koinonia is. It's, it's all of us working together, all of us in relationship with each other because we're in a relationship with God so that we live in harmony. Now think about this saying. How many of you left a church and are here because the church didn't have harmony? How many of you left a church because you were looking for this relationship and it seemed like you couldn't break into it? A lot of you are here because of that. And he says that in this, this, this community, this, this koinonia, this relationship, that everybody plays a part. And that's why when you get to Acts 2, 42, it says all the believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching and, and to fellowship and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and a prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And they worshiped together in the temple each day and met in homes and for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And it says, and the Lord added their number every day. I mean, that is... I, I want to be a part of that community, don't you? Wouldn't you like when somebody goes, what church do you go to? I go to the Gathering Community Church. Oh, that's that church where, dude, everybody seems to love each other. And I get there's, you know, we have our weaknesses in our moments, but wouldn't it be great to be the church? Or would it, wouldn't it be great for the church of Fuquay, all these different bodies to come together and to be moving the same direction? Now, in, in that Acts passage, it talks about some roles people have, and I, I, I want to make sure we understand the roles before I give you kind of what, what, how to play this out. 
for the Christians, for the people. It said all the believers. Here was their role. Their, their role is to be on the same page. It says they were devoted to certain things, to be on the same page. Wouldn't it be great to be a church where everybody's on the same page? I mean, what, somebody tell me, what, what is our, um, what's our, our purpose? Why do we exist? Okay, but we have a statement about that. To impact our community for Christ, to impact the world. And ultimately in that, we become disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I mean, we'd be all on the same page and say, right, my goal is this. I want to leave the biggest imprint with my life that I can for the kingdom. And if everybody, because there's about 300 people involved between this campus and Holly Springs, if everybody, including our children over here, left a big impact, all on the same page. I mean, I, I, I've been in a lot of churches in my day, and I've worked at, at quite a few. And I don't know if I've ever been in a church that is all everybody moving in the same direction. And here's what's happened in this church. I mean, this church went from 120 to 8,120 in about two or three months. 8,120. And it says all the believers were on one page. That is our job. To be on the same page with God and what God wants. And the same page with each other, moving in the same direction. And then it says the, other, the, the next group there, the apostles, here's their job. To teach and do crazy things. They taught and said they did miraculous signs and wonders. And between the two of those, between the everybody moving in the same direction and what the apostles were doing, it says this deep sense of awe fell on everybody. Everybody's going, wow. And then you read on, it says, and they found favor with everybody in the community. So that brings what the community's job is. The community's job is to be saved each day. <laughs> That as we live this out, it says that people come to the Lord because they've never seen anything like that. Can you imagine in, in southern Wake County, northern Harnett County, if you had some churches that, man, they were just rocking and they were, they were living this out? That, that the, you know, my job is to teach and to lead. That's my job here and to equip. My job isn't to hold your hand. My job is to equip you to do what the early church did. And they were devoted to that. And man, they went, they took off. And everybody wanted what they had. I mean, that would be so, so cool if that was us. And the only way this happens is if we lay down our, what we want. And we move in the direction God's called us to move. In fact, and I know Brian read this a couple weeks ago. Philippians chapter 2 talks about that we consider others more highly than ourselves. That we that to, In order to move in that direction. That says don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. That we lay down what we want for what the kingdom needs. Now, I, I'm going to be honest with you. And, and as we move on, here's the thing. Is that in order to live this kind of questionable life, you're not going to do it on your own. God's spirit has to move in your life. Because here's the deal. As I speak, everybody in this room has an idea of what you want. I mean, one of the hardest parts for me about getting married was realizing how selfish I really am. Anybody, anybody else track with me on that? I was 28 years old. Kim was 21. Um, you know, I'd been on my own for a long time and kind of doing my own thing. And um, 
all of a sudden this other person moves into my house. Don't ever say that. Because I realized real quickly that it was not my house. It was our house. And when she would move the dishes somewhere else and I'd come in to get a cup and there's paper plates in there. I'm like, how dare she? I mean, man, she did crazy things. Like instead of the toilet paper roll with the toilet paper going on the, this side, it was on the other side. Who does that? <laughs> Only a crazy person moving your house does stuff like that. And I had to learn to lay myself down for her. And it's the same here. God's spirit has to teach us to lay ourselves down for each other. But when we do that, we begin to live this incredibly questionable life. In fact, I think the first week I kind of hinted at this, but the Emperor Julius back in 330, right before Constantine, wrote this because the church was being so questionable, the Roman emperor got wind of it. It's like, what do we do with this? It says, he writes this to, his, to all of his, um, to his governors around. He says, we must pay special attention to, the point, to this point and by this means uh, affect a cure for the sickness of Christianity. For when it came about the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, then I think the impious Galileans, or Christians, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. And they have gained ascendancy in the worst of deeds through the credit, uh, through the credit they win for such practice. For just as those who entice children with cake and by throwing it to them two and three times to induce them to follow them, and then when they are far away from their friends, cast them aboard a ship um, and sell them, as, uh, sell them as slaves. By the same method, I say, the Galileans also begin their so-called love feast or hospitality or service of tables, for they have many ways of carrying it out, and hence call it by many names. And the result has been they've led many into atheism, and for them, atheism was having only one God. They live such a questionable life that even the emperors going we got to do something about this and they tried to do something about it and it failed they tried to institute reforms on their own but it failed because the spirit wasn't in it so you and i have to live in community we need the community we crave community but it's going to take a couple things and what i want to talk about these next few minutes is how can you live such a questionable life as a b group and as an individual to where people will want what you have and here's the deal this is an i believe an all or nothing deal I believe these, these steps I'm going to give you, I think you, it's all or nothing. It's not hard. It's not hard. I've been working through it. But it is something that you have to, I think we all have to do. And it's a real easy acronym. It's BELLS, B-E-L-L-S. So the first one is this. This is the first part of this commitment. Uh, bless. To bless. I'll bless three people this week. That you decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a way to bless three people this week. Now, here's the thing. Um, I, I'm going to give you a little, a little help with this. So, one of them has to be someone outside the church. Two need to be somebody inside the church. So, it can be somebody in your B group. It can be a friend. It can be whatever. And it doesn't have to be this church. It can just be a believer, okay? Because here's what happens. When we start to do that with each other and we show love for each other, there's this ripple effect within the church people feel cared for but when we start to show it to people outside the church they start going all right i don't get what's going on now here's the thing we don't do this we're not doing this to convert people okay we're doing it because jesus blessed people i mean out of the people that were fed the five thousand or you know the five thousand men and ten thousand other people and the four thousand uh at another time how many of those people followed Jesus? 
mean, when you think about it, probably very few. Because Pentecost took place in Jerusalem, so the people who came to the Lord on Pentecost, the 3,000, were probably people from all over the world we know, probably not very many Galileans. And they did those miracles in Galilee. Did he go, you know, I'm only going to feed the ones who accept me. Nice, but he blessed everybody. He blessed everybody. Some things you can do, words of affirmation. Um, I'm a really weird person. I'm an, I, I, my, if you know the five love languages, I'm an affirmation guy who has struggles to affirm people. Um, like if Meg, when, when I say something nice to Meg, it about blows her away because I forget. I just, I get in my own little world. And so I have to work hard at that. It could be an act of kindness for somebody. I mean, you know, one of our core values is we're going to love people when they least deserve it and least expect it. I mean, that's right in that wheelhouse right there that I'm going I'm to do something nice for somebody or I'm going to write somebody a note just out of the blue for no reason. And it, that we do it for three, uh, for three people this week. Three people next week. And make a habit, become a habit. So that's, that's the first commitment. second commitment is this, that, that I will eat with three people this week. And you go, Joe, you just talked about fellowship is not eating. But yeah, let, me, let me give you this. I heard this the other day, and it, it dawned on me. It's just crazy. Um, what, somebody, y'all know the, th- the three things Jesus came to do? Three things. Seek and save that which is lost. To serve. He said, I've come to serve and not be served. And I'm going to throw you another one. To eat. <laughs> you go, that's not biblical. Oh, yeah, it is. It's very biblical. Think about all the teaching Jesus did around the table. When Zacchaeus, the wee little man, the wee little man was he. After he climbed down from the sycamore tree, what did Jesus say? I'm going to come to your house. What did he do? They ate. And around that table, you know, something happens when you eat with people who maybe know the Lord or are far from God, is that the, the walls start to break down. Because as you get to know people and you're talking across the table and you got a 30-minute meal, you start sharing things that you normally wouldn't share. I mean, Matthew, the tax collector, brought, after he came, Jesus called him, he brought all the tax collectors in. And you go, well, I still don't get where Jesus came to eat. It says that Jesus became known by the Pharisees as a glutton and a drunkard was what they started calling him. Why? Because he ate with people all the time. And he used it for ministry. And so again... At least one or two people from with, that you know that are believers to be an encouragement and one person that's not. I mean, how many of you go to lunch? Is that it? Wow. All right, for those who go to lunch, this should be easy. Just ask somebody. And I mean, how many of you, how many of you have seven days in your week? Not everybody. A lot of you didn't raise their hand on that one. Most of us have seven days. Some of you may have six. just depends on what week you're in. But seven days a week, if you just take five of them, it's pretty easy to find time to eat with people. I think it could be a group or it could be, it doesn't have to be one-on-one, but what happens across the table. In fact, we're, our um, women's dinner club is about, and men's dinner clubs are about to start up um, here in the next, uh, in the next couple weeks. And, and we just get together, and you're sitting across the table from somebody and just have an opportunity to share and get to know and, and, and understand people a little bit better. So, so, so that's the second part. See, that, this isn't bad so far, is it? I, I've not asked anybody to go out there and go door-to-door evangelism, have you? Nope, not doing it. So here you go. 
Number three, listen. I will spend at least one period of my week listening to the Spirit. One period of my week. Now, you know, I do it every morning. That's just me. But at least one period of my week you need to spend. And, and, and I, would, I would cut some time out, like, you know, 30, 40 minutes to just listen. Now, here's the thing with just listening. It doesn't mean that you have the radio on. It doesn't even mean necessarily that, I mean, you can have your Bible out, but it's not even necessarily that. Just be still. Now, the first, I can tell you, the first 15 minutes, you're going to be going through your grocery list or, you know, your, what you got coming up for the week, and there's only all these things going on in your mind. But the longer you take, the, your, your mind's going to slow down. I remember um, a few years ago, um, Terry Gibson took uh, my son and I out to, the, to some woods um, down Swain County, and uh, it's early in the morning. I hate early morning. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, when the sun's not up yet, I don't think God created that time because the Bible talks about walking in the light, not in darkness, and I think that's satanic. But anyway, we were out there at Satan hours, and some of you get up that Satan hour every day. And so we're out there, and we're just in the woods, and as I sat there listening, at first my mind's just racing, but by the time I'd sat there for about 30 minutes, you could hear, I mean, this is so crazy, you could actually hear the claws of the squirrels as they went up the trees. As you just listen, you could hear just, you know, all sorts of things just listening. Well, here's the thing. As you listen, as you listen, God may reveal to you who you need to take to lunch. He may reveal to you who you need to bless. He may lead you in some ways that, that you would never go otherwise. And sometimes we just need to shut up and listen. Our lives are so busy and so noisy that we just need to set some time to just be quiet. And so I'm saying, find 30 minutes this week just to be quiet. Go somewhere where nobody else can mess with you and do that. The, th the fourth thing is this, learn. Learn. I will spend at least one period of my week learning about Christ. I mean, in order for this to work, we need to grow closer to him. We need to understand more about who, what he did. We talked about this, um, I think, last week. Or I, I'm, I got so many things I'm writing right now for different things. It may have been one of those. But we, 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 you remember back in the 90s, you had the What Would Jesus Do from a book from 1896 by uh, Henry Sheldon, um, you know, in his steps. Um, what would Jesus do to ask that question uh, before you do everything? And that's great, but in our day and age, everything's so subjective that what would Jesus do? I think Jesus would smoke that. You think I'm kidding. You know, we, we, we've taken it to where if you love it, you, you can do whatever you want with it. Um, and Jesus is good with that, where Scripture says the exact opposite. And so it's two subjections. Here's what I would say in this learn part. Don't, don't ask what would Jesus do. Just do what Jesus did. Just do what Jesus did. If you'll just do what Jesus did, your life will go pretty well. Now, will, you, will everybody like you know Jesus said that people would hate you because of him? And that's just a thing, fact, that we believers need to understand. As we live contagious lives, people aren't going to like us a whole lot sometimes because it shines a light on their darkness, and nobody likes to have the darkness, uh, their darkness pointed out. And it doesn't mean we're going around going, ooh, I know what you did. It doesn't mean that. It's just that if we live our lives a certain way, then the selfishness of other people will come out. But our hope is they'll go not, not to repel us, but go, man, I, I want that in my life. 
But we need to know him. We need to go deeper with him. And for some of you, let's be honest, this is as deep as you're going to get this week as me right here. And I'm just telling you, I'm not very deep. You need to take some time. And it can be 10 minutes or 15 minutes. You know what? We even help you with this. This is so great. How many of you have Right Now Media? How many have a, a, if you will write right now on your Connect card, and make sure we have your email address, I will send you a, a link to that where you can, you can log in. And there are thousands of videos from all different things. In fact, if you're in a B group, we're doing Francis Chan right now. It's the book of James. Our college group is about to start the, um, the Gospel of Mark through that. There are things on parenting. There are all sorts of things. And we pay for that. We pay $1,000 a year for you to have access to that whenever you want it. How many of you have a, on, on your sheet right here, um, look at the bottom right there. It says, go deeper. We provide something for you to go deeper. If you have Uversion Bible app, it's, it, you know, you can go deeper with this. And so, you know, really it comes down to if you don't know him, it's because you choose not to. And most of you have a Bible. You have access to a Bible. Some of you have 15 Bibles that have never been read. And Bibles are expensive. What a waste of money to not read it. The last thing is this, sent. Sent. And, and this, is a, this is a little, let me, let me explain this one. Um, sent. I will journal throughout the week all the ways I've alerted others to the universal reign of God uh, through Christ. In other words, I will, I'm going to write down these things that, I, that I'm doing. Um, the reason we, I'm asking you to do that is this. Something happens when you put pen to paper. So for me, um, I have an app on my computer on my, that I, uh, from Mac that is a journal. And it will pop up a reminder every day to journal. And so what I do is I write down as I go through the week who I, who I ate with, who I, who I blessed. Um, I, I write these things down, the things I learned. Why? So, it, one, it holds me accountable. Two, I can track over time. You know, as, as, as I am growing in relationship with someone, I kind of have a, a journal of what God's doing in my life through them and what, I, what God's using me in their life. But it's also hold me accountable just to be sent. We are a sent people. You and I were not meant to just hang out in Fuquay. We, we are called to take this message to the entire world. And, and the problem is that we live in an area where it's growing so rapidly and we're losing because we're not doing anything. We're just sitting there bemoaning the fact that there's no prayer in school and, you know... Um, you know, you got crazy people doing abortions when the baby's born and just all the idiocy that's going on in our culture, and we bemoan it, but what are we doing about it? What are you and I doing? Because here's the mission, and this is why we, we need to do this in community, because you are not, you know, everybody's room, it, not everybody's room is an evangelist, but everybody here is called to be evangelistic. And here's what I mean. In Scripture, in 1 Corinthians, it says there are those with the gift of evangelism. I've seen people, they can stand on their head, whistle Dixie, and people fall out and give their heart to the Lord. And I've seen other people, man, they're, they, they just don't know the words to say. They just, blah, 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 blah. But man, they have the gift of hospitality. They have the gift of service. They have the gift of generosity. And what happens in a community like a B group or church when you have people who use their gift of hospitality to bring people in, and then you have people that have the gift of evangelism to say, dude, let me tell you something. And you have others that are great at discipleship, and we start to work together and function together. What happens in Fuquay? What happens in our world? 
And so what is our mission? Let me just give you a couple things about our mission real quick and how we function together in this mission and community um, as we bless people. I mean, here's one of the things. The first thing we're called to do is we're called to announce reconciliation. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which, again, this is one of those passages that you really need to read. 2 Corinthians 5 says that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, to help people reconcile between God they're far from God to help them to come to know him. It is within the races that we bring reconciliation because this is still the most segregated hour in America. Or actually, 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour in America because everybody is, well, the African Americans, they got their church, and the white people got their church, and here's the thing, we are the church. I am so excited. I think it's March the 13th where me, we're going to be down at, at New Breed Fellowship in, um, in down towards Lillington with our brother Marco and Connect Church. And we're going, to have a, we're going to do our impact night of worship there together, and it's going to be crazy. I'm just telling you. If you ever been, I mean, Marco, I love him. The man sits there, and, and he keeps going, hey, Joe, you need to come down here and preach. But I don't know if I can preach with an organ behind me going, bum, 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 bum. But I'm going to tell you something, Marco can't preach everybody going, amen. <laughs> so we're going to learn to bring it. But to bring the relation, the, the, uh, the, everybody together in one thing, and, and other churches, we work with other churches to where the church of Fuquay Verena looks like the church of Fuquay Verena. Where we work together, move in the same direction. Same thing is, we are, we are called to live out justice and champion it. We are, we are called, you need to find where you can be used for that. We have families right now that are that people who are trying to stop human trafficking. we got people right now who are in the process of adopting. We have people right now, they're in the process of, um, of fostering children. And then we have about three or four of you last week say, I want to be a part of Safe Families, which is a step between before you get to fostering. And some of you, if you are interested in that, you can just write on your card, uh, somewhere say safe and we'll have somebody get in touch with you but we need to live out justice because the bible says true religion is take care of the poor the orphans and the widows true religion didn't come and sit in a room singing songs and leaving here the same way you you walked in true religion is taking what god teaches you and putting it into practice we're called to bring wholeness we're called as a community and B groups and as, uh, as a church to bring wholeness in people. That's why we're doing safe families. Because not only is a child being taken care of, but somebody's pouring into the mother's life and helping her to find that relationship with God. Or if she's far from, if she has a relationship, to get back in right relationship. That's why we're doing Celebrate Recovery starting, I think we're launching it Easter week. Celebrate Recovery is for addicts, people who are, um, who are dealing with all sorts of issues like, like self-esteem issues and the, the addictions and whatever it is. I mean, it's, it's to help you become what God's created you to be. But we're about bringing wholeness. But I want you to understand, as we close, I think most of us, when we think of community, we go, you know what, I, I already have friends. I already have people I hang out with. I really don't need to be in another group with people to hang out with. I got plenty of friends. And I think you're only thinking about part of what we're calling you to. Because at the gathering, it has more, it's got a lot more to do with the mission than it has to do with your relationships with each other. See, every B group is a house church. And every B group has responsibility to reach an area. 
And every B group in doing that has a mission. And it can be celebrate recovery. It can be create your own mission. It doesn't matter, but it's, it's all about that. It's about living a questionable life with people where people want what you have. And everybody in this room needs to be in one. And right now, we're probably sitting about 50% of our people involved. And some of you are going, I really don't need that. I just don't have the time. It's about the mission. It's about being involved and seeing what God can do with us together. I mean, you get involved in a B group. You can sign on right on the bottom of the sheet, B group, and somehow get in touch with us. It's a becoming group. We're all becoming something. We'll become like Christ together. Um, activity groups. We're about to start activity groups. We have a, a couple. We have the dance one. There's a video um, for dance There's um, that, that we showed before if you want to be a part of that. And that dance ministry is not just about dancing here. We're trying to reach uh, children and adults who live in areas where they can't afford um, to, to be involved in Main Street dance or something like that to where we can have an opportunity to pour into their lives and bless them. I mean, we got this incredible opportunity to, to bless. You may want to be a part of this. We just found this out. We just got this. We, you know, we have this, our, our campus at Southern Wake Academy. Like, how do we, how do we bless that campus? Well, they have a teacher appreciation day. And we got Chris Wren cooking, and we need people to help serve over there on the 15th of, of uh, February uh, for their teacher appreciation as we try to get in and just get to know people. I mean, our, our big, we meet over there, and that is the largest mission field we have, and we're going we're gonna to take advantage of it. And bless them. We're not asking the teachers to come to church. We're just blessing them. But if we live questionable enough lives, they'll come check. You know, it's funny. When there's a fire, what do you do? If it's not your house, you go watch it burn. <laughs> hey, y'all y'all think I'm kidding. How many of you drive up the belt line during the week and help hold up traffic, which Kevin hates as a police officer, that's just bad, because you're sitting there going, ooh, look. Look at all that damage. Oh, God, I hope nobody died. We need to be that kind of fire in this community to where people stop to see what's going on. So here's the thing. This, this is, this is going to take some guts right here today, all right? Because usually we say do one thing. And I don't think you can do one of these without doing all of them. And, and, and some of you go, well, that's, that's just a lot. It really isn't. See, here's the thing. The, the blessing and the eating is just all a part of your normal, everyday life. You already do that. Just do it with mission in mind. Just do it because Jesus did it for you. That's, that's why the early church did it. They did it because that's what Jesus did. And see, it goes back to what we said at the very, very beginning. If our God is great to us, then this is no biggie. None of this is that hard. If it's all about us, then everything we're asking you to do is extremely difficult. Because you're going to put yourself out there and maybe not get anything back in return. You see, here's the thing. Jesus put himself out there for you how much does he get in return from you? See, I mean, Jesus does it because that's just his nature. We are called to be just like him. You see, if we do that and we live those questionable lives, Jesus will grow his church. Our job is just to be faithful. Our job is just to look like him. 
The early church got it. And they grew rapidly. We need to get it. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you this day. And Lord, I thank you for community. I'm, I'm thankful for this community. This group together is week in and week out, Lord. And Lord, we're not perfect. We got a long ways to go. But Lord, we're all in this process together. And I pray that today you'd help us to take just another step in that process. To bless somebody. To, to eat. We like to eat. To listen to what you're calling us to do. To take time and be devoted to learn at your feet. To open your word and just read. See what you have to say. Lord, to, to be sent. To write down what you're doing in our life. But Lord, write down because you're sending us. And, and, and Lord, what you're teaching us through that. Lord, for someday they're not, they're not in a community right now. They, they need to get involved in one. And I, I pray that you would help them to do that. For others, Lord, we're in a, maybe in a B group and we don't really have a mission yet. Lord, help us to find that thing. Help us to, to press, to do what you call us to do. Lord, you've gifted each B group in certain ways and with certain people, with certain talents. And Lord, we just need to act on it and use it. And I pray that you'd help us to do that. So Lord, we want to do whatever you call us to do. And Lord, this week helps be faithful to keep the commitment we make. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's sing that out. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Come on, praise Him for His love. 